to episode 245 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Network. I'm James, joined once again by Paul, and in Vegas this week, Ryan Top. Ryan, how, how's it going? I, I know things could be better uh, with your better half, but uh, how's the trip so far? Yeah, so my wife uh, started feeling a little bit under the weather just as soon as we got here and was testing. Um took a COVID test, COVID test, and was negative, was negative, and then popped positive on Saturday morning. So I spent all day yesterday holed up in here. Fortunately, we have a suite, so I'm able to be in the main room and she's in the bedroom, and we didn't have to sleep in the same room. So hopefully I'm going to dodge this, but uh, (laughs) I, I keep testing negative, so I don't have any symptoms, and I keep testing negative, so... I, uh, I went out for a little walk this afternoon and met my brother, and so we'll we'll see uh, where this goes from here. But hopefully, uh, you know, it's <laughs> it's it's not great, <laughs> not great. No, no. You've got a you've got a couple legs left on this trip too, so you, you, uh-huh. you're desperately hoping not to come down with it. But uh, at least it sounds like you haven't lost everything in Vegas so far, so that's good. No, the gambling I've been able to do. Uh, I'm up, so I'm I'm having a good trip from that perspective. But... <laughs> Except for the diseased significant Except other. Doing, right, doing great. Yeah. yeah. Honestly, so... being stuck in Vegas with COVID in July sounds like hell to me, so you have, <laughs> you have my sympathies. Um, but uh, I hope, hope it turns around and, and hope she's okay quick. Uh, she's and... already feeling a lot better. Good, so good. She, uh, That's good. And and she's because she started to first feel symptoms on Wednesday, she's getting pretty close to being able to start testing um, to see if she pops negative and then uh, she can go from there. So she's on the positive side that way Nice, because she's fully vaxxed. I'm fully vaxxed. Yep. So, yeah, That's it good. shortens good the window you. for the, all yeah. that stuff. For sure. For sure. Paul, how are you doing? Uh, I'm fine, but I'm very tired. I went to Summerfest yesterday and saw Guster and Death Cab for Cutie. Uh, ran into Andy there and uh, a few other people, a few other randoms. And uh, I drove back to Chicago that night, so um, I uh, I made a marathon session of it. It was a good old time. I've forgotten how many people in Milwaukee still smoke. It's weird. Um, stop that. <laughs> Why are you doing that? Uh, but it was it was uh, one of the most crowded Summerfest days I've actually ever been to. I, I think. Maybe second to the first time I saw OAR in their heyday, which is the most crowded oh, wow. summer fest day I've ever seen. Um, but it was packed. Um, and uh, it was so Guster was excellent. Guster, I think, is actually a little underrated as a band. Um, they, you know, they were never like super duper popular even when they had Amsterdam, but they actually have like a, a good sort of uh, backlog of very good songs, even if they're not all great. So a fun show, very positive and upbeat as well. Uh, but uh, Death Cab had de- bad acoustics. Um, it was like the ultimate Summerfest experience where they didn't have it. Uh, the, the the stage next to it was just like way too loud and they were not loud enough. Mm. So we, uh, as Andy and I have talked about, you could really hear Chevelle. And uh, it, <laughs> as far as I can tell, only J.R. Radcliffe wants to hear Chevelle. Nobody else in the world does. <laughs> and judging by the number of people that were at Chevelle, that checks out. So um, it, it's a, it was sort of a death cab being serenaded by Chevelle. Not be, I could only hear vocals and uh, drums, no bass or guitar. And the most awkward part of the whole thing was 
Um, they had fireworks last night at Summerfest, which I didn't know was happening, and I, I nobody in the crowd seemed to know was happening, and really freaked Ben Gibbard out when he started playing um, I Will Follow You Into the Dark, and then loud bangs started happening everywhere. <laughs> yeah, so um, not a great time for surprise fireworks. Correct, so maybe publicize that a little more next time. Anyway, Summerfest is still the same as it always is, just drunken weirdness and bizarre <laughs> bands who have no business being next to each other. I've still never been to Summerfest. You've Chevelle, never, ever I've been never to been. Summerfest? I've never been. How is that even I, possible? I don't like crowds, man. I That would severely hamper my enjoyment, especially if I'm hearing Chevelle screaming, like, seeing Red or whatever their one song was <laughs> over the band I'm trying to see. Uh, yeah, no, I, I've never been. I, I, I regret that deeply. I really wanted to go to the Outcast reunion show a few years back whenever that was but uh yeah never made it down so oh yeah that was on the main stage yeah that was extra extra fee for that extra cash yep exactly i'm all about the freebies there you go yeah well glad you you had an all right time uh even though uh you you had to listen to chevelle i'm sorry about that (laughs) but all right uh that's uh all good great great glad you guys are having a good weekend hope all of you are as well as we record this on sunday night uh kind of a disappointing way for the brewers to kind of end their their first half home schedule i guess we should say they've got a couple of road series before the all-star break but we will talk about that in a minute first though if you would like to help support us, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash MKE tailgate as little as two bucks a month gets you question priority here on this podcast, as well as reporting as eligible, the Packers podcast, uh, five bucks a month gets you that question priority plus some exclusive podcasts, including the minor league extra with Ryan and James Anderson from Rotowire. and Ryan, you guys did your little draft preview this past week. How did that go? Uh, it feels like a very long time ago, but yeah, we that was this last <laughs> week. And uh, yeah, it, it was interesting. We kind of ran through a bunch of names that figure to be maybe around, uh, going around the time that the Brewers pick. And I uh, talked a little bit about the top of the draft and just sort of general big picture stuff. And uh, I think it's a, a pretty solid episode and got a few good questions in there too. So uh, ended up being one of our longer minor league extras for James and I. I think we were almost an hour and 20 minutes for it. Oh, wow. So, uh, yeah, definitely check that out in advance of the draft. Uh, he he had some very definite ideas, and I was happy that a few of the names I had picked out, he was like, yes, I would love it if he was there for the Brewers at uh, at 27, and I don't think he will be, but I think it, it is possible, and it might be close. So I was, uh, I was glad that I had found the right guys, at least, <laughs> from that perspective. Sure, sure. The Brewers definitely have a type. But uh, definitely they worth do. listening. Yeah, worth listening to just to kind of get a preview on some of those names to, to watch for and, and see if they slide down that draft board. <laughs> also, I think on the prospect front, important to note that Jackson Churio in the futures game, right? And he's one of the youngest ones they've had in quite a few years, right? Uh, probably youngest, was it since Wander Franco, Ryan? Uh, I, no, no, it was a different name. Else. A guy I wasn't yeah. even familiar with, uh, Diaz on the Dodgers, I believe. Uh, okay. It was 2018 was the last time a player as young as him was in the Futures game. So it has been, yeah, a good solid four years here since somebody that young has been in the Futures game. And he just continues to hit. I saw he uh, smacked another couple home runs in the last few days here. So he just continues to absolutely murder the ball. 
and it'll be interesting to see. We we discussed him because we kind of have to at this point. Did a little Jackson Churio update, and <laughs> it's uh, it kind of trying to figure out when he might get promoted. Again, but we both kind of think that he will see some time at Wisconsin this year. So uh, people, I think, uh, when that happens, flock to Wisconsin. Get get yeah, to those games to because yeah. you're going to want to see the uh the phenom before the uh the the majors and have that story so make sure you do that it's really too bad that they they've stopped doing that game at miller park or at well i guess now in fam field uh mm-hmm. where they bring in the the uh, brewers prospects but they haven't done that in quite a while yep yeah but still definitely uh worth keeping an eye on and you can actually watch them in the futures game if you know you, you don't typically follow minor league baseball i think that that's what coming up next Sunday, right? The Sunday before the All Star break is usually when they do that. Saturday, um, actually, it's Saturday, the Saturday. This year. Okay, great. Uh, so yeah, be on the lookout for that. Uh, of course, the Brewers will still be playing a game because MLB is dumb like that and doesn't know how to showcase their future talent. But hey, <laughs> um, they're so bad. It's so bad. Uh, but that that'll be something to note too. Put that on your calendar as well. All right, Major League side, kind of a very up and down week, and it ended up being more down <laughs> with the way Sunday's game ended. Uh, kind of emblematic of the entire week. That was that Sunday's game, very back and forth, up and down in its own ways, but ultimately the Brewers ended up wrapping up a disappointing homestand with that frustrating loss against the Pirates. Lost a home series to the Pirates. Almost unthinkable <laughs> when you think of how much the Brewers have <laughs> Owned the Pirates in Milwaukee, uh, went two and four on the homestand, the last homestand before the All Star break. So, uh, also that Cubs series saw Josh Hader look human for a bit there. We've got some questions about that, but even though they're kind of treading water, luckily the Cardinals have been a lot worse. Just unbelievable how yeah. um, how bad the rest of the division has been while the the Brewers have been struggling. Uh, yeah, truly amazing. Absolutely, that the Cards have went into Sunday losing eight of the last 10 before they finally salvaged a game against Philadelphia. Uh, So despite the Brewers playing some really uninspiring baseball, again, (laughs) they actually saw their division lead go up there two and a half games up over the Cardinals now as we record this on Sunday night. So I guess uh, let's just kind of start with this past week. Paul, I know you you were looking at some of the offensive numbers and we've kind of talked about how... (laughs) You know, last week even, it it was kind of a rosier tune when we're talking about the Brewers' offense because, hey, things were going pretty well at that point. Uh, A lot of the guys had, you know, OPS pluses or WRC pluses, whatever your favorite metric is, over league average. We're talking about how deep this lineup was. (laughs) But, uh, Paul, when we we look at it a little bit closer, right, Uh, it it kind of uh, becomes apparent that the Brewers have kind of made a lot of hay against teams under 500 and they actually didn't do that this week. And lo and behold, they lost a homestand, right Paul? So I think we've had some cognitive dissonance on the podcast all season where one week uh, it's usually led by Ryan who will correctly point out like um, the, the Brewers OPS pluses across the lineup are actually almost all above average. Almost every single one of them. <laughs> now that Lorenzo Cain is gone, the lowest one is McCutcheon, and he's his is ninety six. Um, that's all true. But I think we all, when we watched them, when we were actually watching the Brewers play, are like, 
this offense isn't good. And it's hard to square those two things. Um, Jack Stern at Brooker Ball this week wrote a piece um, about the Brewers' uh, absurd splits, their OPS splits um, against over 500 and sub-500 teams versus how other contending teams are doing. Um, obviously, everybody's going to be better against worse competition, but the Brewers have by far the biggest split. They have a 151-point OPS split uh, versus the top and bottom halves of the league. Um, the second highest is the Marlins. I think it was 115. Uh, so that's a significant, significant difference. Um, and that can mean a lot of things. That's the thing. Uh, when I see a big split like that, the first thing that jumps to my brain is that's probably due for some regression in one direction or the other. Um, and if it's from beating up on bad teams, that's not good. That, that, that could happen, and that would be bad. If it's from both ends, maybe you start to make a little hay against the better teams. But... Uh, um, it's uh, it's not great, and it does kind of, I think, explain why when we do watch the Brewers, especially against middling to upper echelon teams, they always seem just brutally boring and terrible to watch on offense, because they are. Um, but uh, it, something will probably break on this uh, as the season goes on. Either this offense will start to be more middling against both sides, and if you want to... If you want to shine a, uh, have a silver lining to not beating up on the the Cubs and Pirates, maybe that's it. Maybe they'll get a little bit luckier against the next good opponent they face, and they'll start to compress a little bit, uh, or maybe not. <laughs> so, um, but I think I think it, that does that stat. I think it goes a long way towards explaining why the Brewers' numbers are sort of good. Uh, you know, they're all all sort of averagey offensively, but why we kind of hate watching them because they are. That they've gotten fat off of their crappy division, except for this week, and they do legitimately struggle to hit um, and, and score runs against good teams. Yeah, so a lot of thoughts on this. First off, the the number one question that pops to mind there is: Is this just a thing that has happened, or does this actually mean something? And so to investigate that and look at that, I started digging a little bit deeper into the numbers and started looking at okay. Well, yeah, the Brewers have this very large, this 151-point uh, difference between playing above 500 and below 500 teams in, in terms of their offense. But then I looked at what the average was because he, he went and did that for all the teams above 500. And so what is the average difference in that case? Because only a few of those teams, I believe it was three of them, had reverse splits where they were actually a little bit better against <laughs> yep. teams that were, you know, so 13 of the 16 had, you know, a difference where they were worse against bad teams, which totally makes sense, right? And Jack put this all in the article. I, I went back and reread the thing like three times to make sure I was I was capturing it because yep. he, he caveated this pretty heavily and said- He did, he did. We should we should mention that um, he Jack is of course statistically adept and aware of how much noise might be in here and how different divisions can have a drastic effect on how this goes. So yeah, all, all that's very true. I'd urge everybody to go read it. I think it's a very insightful mm -hmm. piece of writing on this Brewers team. Yeah, so I went and I found what the average difference was, and it's it's fifty six points. So from that point, you're already looking at you know a pretty substantial difference. Um, as just the norm, as just what you would expect in terms of difference. But that still has the Brewers considerably worse than that. And 
So uh, you're left with the question of, well, does this mean that they are bad at hitting uh, good pitchers? Because that's the assumption here is that good teams have more good pitchers and bad teams have more bad pitchers and that that's what's what's causing this. And so I think that you would have to at this point say that we're still very uh, – <laughs> The early indications are not good, but we don't have nearly enough evidence to say that this is definitely a problem going forward, that we're looking at true issues in the long run and that this is going to truly portend poorly for them when they're facing good offenses in, you know, primarily in in the postseason. And also just to, to point out, the Brewers still have a really soft schedule the rest of the year. It's uh <laughs> So they have three series remaining against the Cardinals, who I guess are like the worst of the good teams in the NL, right? Yep. Yeah. Like, yeah. I guess and that's correct. Especially lately. <laughs> and and actually, two of those three series are two gamers. So they only have seven games, though it's spread into three series. How weird against the Cardinals. Uh, yeah. Well, they've had three uh, four game series yep. already. So yeah, um, they have their two series left against the Dodgers because they haven't played them at all yet. And then they have one each against the Mets, Yankees, uh, Boston, and then uh, both, uh, sorry, Minnesota. They have uh, four remaining against them. And Tampa Bay, they just have a two-gamer left. That's the sum total of their of their series against good teams. On the bad side, they have three left against Cincinnati. Uh, I guess now two left against Pittsburgh. Uh, they have uh, two left against the Cubs. And then two each against the the Diamondbacks and the Rockies. Oh, all right. And then if you want like a more neutral opponents, and I think that it's fair to say at this point, the middle class in the National League really consists of the Giants and the Marlins. Yeah, I think that's fair. And we have uh, a two series against the Giants and one against the Marlins. So really more bad teams than good teams remaining on the schedule. So you would think that bodes well for them uh, down the stretch. And also worth noting, they're going to be playing a ton of home games in the, over the stretch run. I was showing my dad the schedule and he could not believe what September looks like. And it is kind of amazing. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, once they, they finish that road trip somewhere around the 10th, they're, they're out of town for like one quick road trip. And then other than that, they're, they're at home for the remainder of the season. So I would say it's overall. Yeah. Just by the, just to put that, so um, they're on September seventh. They play Colorado uh, in Colorado. Uh, then they go home for uh, for game one thirty seven. Um, they play one two three four five six seven eight nine ten. Uh, nine of their next eleven at home. Four games at Cincinnati. All the rest at home. That's it. (laughs) That's nuts. They have a whole month where they're on the road for six total games. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they are going to be making up a lot during that time period. And if they're in good shape, and like Jack pointed out in the article, if they add to their offense, if they've, you know, sort of straightened some of these things out, and also it would help to have like Hunter Renfro back. That would, I think, boost this, especially (laughs) today against uh, a lefty starter and Jose Quintana. That couldn't have hurt. So all those things, uh, I I don't think this is a four-alarm fire, and I don't think it's fair to say the Brewers' offense only hits bad teams and otherwise they suck. Yeah. Uh, 
so far that has been a trend, but I wouldn't say that that means it's likely to continue that way. Um, it's, I would, I would lean more towards the, this is a thing that has happened so far than a thing that means something like deep about what this team is at this point. Hope so. It is. If it does continue all season, it is definitely, it's worrisome. Like we, we always, we're the Kings of the playoffs are random and the, the playoffs are random, but if you suck against good teams, they become quite a bit less random. <laughs> so uh, it would be nice if they would e- either improve the team or break out of this. And by the way, um, in the in the column of the offense truly does suck evidence, do you guys know who the current position player uh, leader in war is, in, in baseball reference war for the team, without looking? Oh, mm-hmm. I yeah. We got a question about that. Oh, do we? So, uh, yeah. Oh, we can we'll, save it for we'll that. About it, Never but... mind. Let's save it for the question. No, you can... No, just bring it up. It's well, Chase Peterson. Ryan knows it was a trivia question, so now it's not a trivia question anymore because he knows. So. <laughs> I, yeah, no, I've I've noticed this every time I open up Baseball Reference every day. <laughs> I I look at it, go, oh right, Jace Peterson. Is Jace Peterson <laughs> leads the team <laughs> in war about. by a lot. He's on pace for a five war season. <laughs> and to be fair, a lot of all star defensive value. Yep, yep. Uh, it's almost all defensive value. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, but I guess just talking about this uh, offensive struggle, I do kind of wonder how much of it is that really, really brutal stretch in early June. It's somehow easy to forget just how bad <laughs> that was, but in that eight-game losing streak or even when they lost, uh, what was it, like 10 of 12 or something like that, It there's a lot of zeros, a lot of low numbers there, and a lot of that was against the Padres and the Phillies, which are not helping your your overall numbers in these senses. Uh, But I more recently though, you know, there was that series against Toronto where granted Toronto is probably the worst pitching good team out there where the Brewers score plenty of runs, but they looked all right in Tampa as well. So I don't know. I I'm with you guys. I I think it's not a cause for a four alarm fire or anything like that, but uh, definitely needs to get better. And this last week, I'm willing to just kind of chalk up to not having Renfro, not having Tyrone Taylor in the offense. Like, it, it's a really scrubby lineup without those guys in there. When you have Keston here playing left field because you have no other outfielders, it's kind of dire. Yes. It true. Is. Very true. All right. Uh, I guess happier things. And speaking of the crappy offense, probably no surprise that no Brewers position players were named NL All-Stars. Uh, that definitely not too surprising and and those rosters were announced on sunday the brewers did however get corbin burns and josh Hader in probably slam dunk choices although the mlb twitter app or twitter post about it did list josh Hader as a starter so you know how accurate that is anyway uh two slam dunk choices there but i guess anybody else outside of jace peterson deserve recognition paul Uh, are you surprised anybody else got left off um, I guess the the big one that I, I'm not surprised at, but is kind of snub is Devin Williams. Probably should have made it. He is having yeah. uh, an excellent season as well. He's basically been as good as Hater, uh, just not getting you know the saves because of their roles. So he also should have made it. Yes, I would say he would he would be the other snub, but um, not an unexpected snub. So um. The the rest of the guys, um, I don't really think you can really, like. Brandon Woodruff's been really good since he's been back, but his overall season's not that good. Um, and 
I, I kind of think that's it. <laughs> so yeah. um, that's I'd really only go with Devin. I think as a legitimate snub. Yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense to me. If you had a utility role, I think that uh, Jace Peterson, like a, a designated utility spot in the the game, Jace would be a guy I would pound the table for for that. <laughs> He's like the kick returner <laughs> in the Pro Bowl. <laughs> Yeah, and but and people have suggested that this really should be a thing now that you really do have some guys who do a lot of this. You're Chris Taylor's, um, you Ben Zobris of of the previous generation here, but like there have been some guys who really are super subs, get into a lot of games. They just play a lot of different positions and uh, really have a huge impact on their team's fortunes. And it would be worth a, a spot. I mean. This this is already a ridiculous exercise. Yeah, we have massive is. rosters, and yeah. a bunch of guys don't go every year, and so then the replacements get named, and they're you know hell. There's probably a good chance that Devin Williams will get in, though. Generally, they they tend to take more starters, uh, and and relievers just all go because well, why not? Like a relief pitcher, it, they were going to be you know, it, it's not like you, a starter if they happen to start the Sunday or the Saturday before. Those guys get bumped. It doesn't work that way for relievers. So, whatever. It's fine. I'm just gonna say I'm I'm okay with Jace Peterson not being an all star. It seems <laughs> seems, seems like kind of a Brian Lahair kind of thing. We you know you don't need to do that. I mean, it, I like allowing guys who have good seasons and and have notable uh, accomplishments like that to be recognized. Like, it's a big deal for those guys. It certainly means a lot more for Jace Peterson to get in than it does for some, you know, perennial all-star to get his eighth nod, yeah. you know? Like, and and you don't want too many of those guys, but they're striking a balance there, I think, is useful. I think you want a certain number of, of interesting stories, guys who've popped up to mix in with your, you know, your your traditional big-time all-star players. Yeah, so... Fair. Yeah, I'm not sold. Although, if we're letting <laughs> Prospectus, by the way, it, yeah. Yeah. Prospectus, not as big a Jace fan as references. No. Um, no. They only have him at point four uh, wins above replacement. <laughs> they have Redfro leading the, the position players at one point two, and Willie at one point one right behind him. So, um, not not a, not as big a fan of Jace on on that side of the fence. Yeah, no, not so much. Uh, I guess before we get to Patreon questions, including what about the All Star Game? Uh, worth noting that the brewers did sort of switch up their pitching probables for the next week and conveniently things line up nicely now for corbin burns to possibly start the all-star game is that something you would like to see ryan or do you not care you're shaking your head very <laughs> vociferously right now why because he's not going to because he's in the national league and tony gonsolin is in his home park and will yeah. start the all-star game i i like not even to get into like the whole Gonsolin versus uh, Alcantara debate. They're yeah. both excellent. Both would be perfectly worthy, and and Burns too. Like it would be fine. But Tony Gonsolin's in his home park and has had an amazing season, and he's going to start the All Star game because of course he is. Yeah. Like, I'll and I have zero problem with that. Also, my yeah. my general rule on All Star games is I would like my all of my position players to play so I can watch them. And I would like none of my pitchers to pitch so that they can not pitch. <laughs> so uh, I don't good, want him starting because, yeah, if he's starting, then he's definitely pitching and he'll probably pitch. But it would be nice if he didn't pitch. So that's what I'm rooting for. 
you know, if he pitches the third or fourth inning, which I'm imagining is what we're going to see happen, I don't think that's really a problem, especially if they have it set up so that, like, this ends up kind of just being a throw day for him, and then maybe he starts the Saturday after they come back. And It's fine. I, I, it's just there's very little upside for you know, a small amount of risk. That's all. It's somewhat in yeah. jest, but... Uh... I mean, has he pitched in the All-Star game yet? He did. He pitched last year, didn't he? I think so. I think so. I'm not going to look it I, up, though, because I don't care. I don't actually watch the All-Star game. So <laughs> I, I mean, if he hasn't done it yet, then that's a, a career thing that a guy wants to, you know, you want to go do that. That's cool. like, and, yeah. And, and have that, have had that experience. So I, yeah. I, I am fine with that. And especially relievers, just it's another game for them to pitch and it doesn't, you know, it, it's not really a big deal. It's not like some manager's going to run them out there for like, Cater's not going to pitch two innings. I don't have to worry about something like that. So, <laughs> Yeah, at, at least the Brewers don't play the Dodgers right away after the, <laughs> the All-Star great break, so we don't have to worry about any shenanigans there. Um, all right. Let's get to some Patreon questions this week. Lots of good ones. Uh, first one coming from Darren Jones because it is all-star related. So Darren's noting here, the Brewers had three starting position players in the 2014 all-star game with Jonathan Lucroy, Aramis Ramirez, and Carlos Gomez. That seems like an eon ago. Uh, in the seven all-star games since then, including this year, they've had just one position player start the game, Yelich in 2019. Who do you think will be the next Brewers <laughs> position player to start an all-star game? Uh, interesting question, considering the state of the offense the last couple of years, Paul. But uh, who, who would you choose? Oh, goodness. Um, uh, it's probably someone who's not on the team. Uh, I mean, th- I would take off the board. So if I was forced to wager on this <laughs> in Vegas, where Ryan is, I would take off the board. Um, there are a couple of guys on the team who could possibly do it. Like Omar could possibly get hot and do it at catcher. Heck, Victor Caratini maybe almost could have done it this year. <laughs> Which, ridiculous, uh, but true. Um, and uh, Willie Adamas is probably a fair bet um, if he can fix his uh, his on base problem a little bit. It's just shortstop so loaded. Like there's a lot of competition yeah. for Willie Adamas. That's uh, his ceiling super high though. So I guess I'd probably go with that. Uh, Rowdy, kind of the same story. Like he's a big, big fun dude, but I think this is as hot as Rowdy can possibly get, and uh, so not gonna happen. So I guess I go with Adamus, then maybe Omar. But off the boards, where my money is going, somebody they trade for, or, well, I guess somebody they trade for because the bats and the miners are very far away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if it's somebody on the current team, I think I would take Adamus first. And that would be, I think, more of the good young shortstops, I think, are in the American League than in the, the National League. Like, yeah, we have Tatis over here in the National League. But in terms of the really good young shortstops, am I forgetting somebody? I'm trying to run through the list here. Is Jazz a head. shortstop or is he second base? Is I, he I, a shortstop? Jazz Chisholm. Uh, right. Short, yeah, okay. Yeah. Anyway. He's he's interesting. Yeah, so I would I would say Adamus number one, Yelich number two, because if he can figure out how to get back to that level, he like there's he has that like uh he has shown that skill level. So we've seen that. And it's not like he's 
old and completely decrepit. And we're not going to turn this into another Christian Yelich. Is he dead yet? <laughs> so don't worry about that. But like Yelich, and then I would say like Urias maybe as the third. Oh, option that's a good call. A that's possible. Gonna I was going to go. You know like what? Urias, Urias in a world. Urias at second base. Right? Yeah, yeah post Wong exactly. Urias is a good idea. That's a good call. And then the correct answer, of course, is Jackson Sherry. Jackson Sherry. Jackson Sherry. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, that's just like the correct answer. Yeah, uh, it seems like a safe bet. But yeah, I, I was going to go Urias once Wong moves on. Uh, just Urias at second base. I think he's he's got a chance to get hot and at least get one. So I don't know. We'll see where that lies. Uh, but it, it'll probably be a while considering the state of the Brewers offense. All right. Next Patreon question comes from Bob Peterson. And this uh, seems like a, a frustration question after Sunday's game. But Bob's asking, are there really no better bullpen alternatives in Nashville than Chichi Gonzalez? Uh, of course, this comes after uh, the ninth inning or late innings of the uh, Pirates game on Sunday, where Craig Council, instead of having uh, Brent Suter possibly face uh, or a lefty face um, Daniel Vogelbach, he made the call and had Chichi Gonzalez pitch and uh, to. Was it Hayes or somebody? I, I forget the exact sequence. But basically, we ended up with Chichi Gonzalez pitching to Daniel Vogelbach for the back-breaking three-run home run that ended up uh, breaking the game wide open. Mm -hmm. So, uh, obviously, Chichi Gonzalez has kind of been roster filler here. Hasn't been very notable at all. Ryan, why is he on the roster as opposed to somebody else? Well, they must see something that they like in him that, that indicates to them that he's better than, you know, an overall for the entire season, uh, oh Lord, 687 ERA <laughs> total. <laughs> it's rough. Uh, so yeah, they, they must see something. And yes, his FIP is lower than that 5.99. His XFIP is 4.32. Like they're, they're seeing something here that makes them like him a little bit. But the main thing is just like, this is the bottom end of the roster and, Yes, it's frustrating to see him come in in that game, in that situation when you're down a run. And it always especially burns people when then McCutcheon facing a worse reliever than he would have been facing otherwise goes and hits the home run in the bottom of that inning, making you go, know, well, if they just held it, then they would have won the game. And that's not how any of this works. Because um, I don't think, did did Kutch hit his home run off Bednar? I don't believe so. He did. Right? I, yeah, he did. Oh, but oh, did he? But Bednar oh, was kind of working on stuff Springs training, training style. They kept mentioning he kept throwing curveballs, which yep. he is not really known to throw. He is not. So oh, he, okay. He hung a curveball in a, with a, like a four-run lead. But yeah, he, he yeah, I got up and, and started walking after that home run and was like, okay, I'm out. <laughs> no more, no more need to see any of this. So, but you're absolutely right. He wouldn't have pitched that way if it was a two run lead he was protecting or a one run lead, you know, like it, it would have been right. a totally different scenario. No, if he's protecting a one run lead in that situation and there's a runner on as there was when Kutch came up, yeah, he's he's not fooling around with other stuff, he's bearing down on him. So, anyway, uh, whatever. It's frustrating, but ultimately Chichi Gonzalez is not going to be on this roster for much longer. Uh, the good indications we've heard are that um, Freddie is is raring to go and is really feeling good, and they're going to take it slowly, and we shouldn't expect to see him before August. But I think we can now pretty safely say, barring a setback, we're going to see him 
much closer to the beginning of August than we are, you know, some indeterminate time down the line after that. So I think that uh, we're we're going to see Freddie come back and that will help take the pressure off of you know this particular situation. I don't know what some of the other guys who are hurt, what their timelines look like in the bullpen, but um, there will also be additions. Yeah. But let's leave that for the next question or without down. without looking who has a higher OPS Daniel Vogelbach or Rowdy Telez probably Vogelbach right Vogelbach's got him by 9.009 points 793 to 784 which doesn't shock me because I don't think Vogelbach has been playing nearly as much as Rowdy I think it's he's been uh, more selectively used is that correct Let's see. <laughs> uh, yeah, a, a little bit. Uh, Two forty-nine played appearances for Vogelbach. Three sixteen for Tele for Teles. So, okay. Yeah. Right. Yep. And, and Big Dan still as patient as ever, as they noted in the broadcast yep. today. I think he's the highest in the league or lowest in the league in swing rate with like thirty-two percent or something like that. Indeed. So, all right. Our next Patreon question comes from Adam Post, uh, talking about kind of the back end of the bullpen kind of also struggling in this last week with that disappointing homestand as well. He says, I haven't watched any of his appearances lately, but what has made Josh Hader mortal? Is it my fault for jinxing him? (laughs) Uh, Ryan, I know you kind of looked into some of the numbers to kind of see why uh, maybe this has been happening. Obviously, he gave up a couple of runs in the last week. One of those games kind of ended up biting the Brewers, one of them not so much. But uh, what have you found? So he's just giving up more hard contact than he has in general. If you look at what uh, the hardest hit balls off of Josh Hader this year, four of the eight have happened since 625. So since his appearance on the 25th of uh, June against Toronto, uh, four of the eight have come now. And this is, we've talked about this before a bunch of times that this is what happens when Josh Hader struggles. He gives up hard contact. And he normally doesn't. He's normally pretty good about this. But when he struggles, uh, when guys find you know, the right spot in the zone or he's just missing by enough, uh, they're going to hit the ball really hard off of him. And it's just part of the Josh Hader experience. And I don't think it means anything, you know, deeply troubling about going forward. Uh, I think it's just a thing that happens. And we've seen it happen before. So, I would just say it's it's part of the deal of having Josh Hader as your relief ace is when he does get hit, he gives up some hard contact. Seems to happen this time of year every year. Um, I, I guess I would maybe be a little tiny bit worried in that loss on Wednesday, I think it was. Um, he actually didn't miss any bats um, the whole time he was out there, which is kind of incredible. Um, and, you know, he, he came back to have a decent appearance. But I always, you know, uh, you're always kind of waiting for the shoe to drop a little bit with him. Um, and Josh Hader's kind of a, a weird pitcher, too, because while he throws very, very hard, um, I think most of his dominance is based more on his length and the way he hides the ball versus velocity. And if if a couple things get out of whack on his ability to hide the ball, um, it, it can it can go downhill for him. Um, and I would say also you, you always worry a little bit on him uh, with anybody who gets sign stealing information on him too um if you know or not that josh always knows where he's throwing the ball either but if the deception is ramped down a little bit um he gets much easier to hit because the pitch he actually throws while 
well, very, very good is not like a, you know, it's not the best fastball in the league. It's it's the best fastball in the league, plus a guy with long hair who hides the ball to the last second. So, Yeah, absolutely. And Paul, I think you're right that it tends to kind of be around this time of year, right, where we're, we're entering the second half of the schedule and he's kind of been used a little bit more often frequently as well where he kind of seems to, to wear down. And we've talked about that in the past too, where he becomes less effective the more you use him, ironically. All right. Uh, next question comes from Mark Podscarby asking, uh, we talked about this guy at the top of the show. At what point can we start <laughs> talking about Jace Peterson deserving an mm. everyday spot, considering he leads all position players in war? Uh, Paul, you noted, obviously, prospectus not as high on jace but i guess it, <laughs> if you were to try to work him into the lineup where would you put him uh first of all you shouldn't do this because <laughs> his best value is as a defensive versatility guy and a matchup guy um and you, you don't want to you don't want to bill hall him um that's not where you get the value out of jace peterson at all and i mean as jace peterson is a guy with a 110 ops plus who plays stellar defense across the diamond it's not like his bat is screaming to get on the field it's like all the other brewer bats it's um it's slightly above average when you look at a crappy league average but it he doesn't get on base and he slugs kind of um so there's no reason to carve out a spot for jace peterson what you want to do is get the most out of his defense and so that involves lots of different that involves putting him where you need him to um, put the best defense on the field at any given moment. Um, and if you want to start, I mean, if you wanted to play him like at third and move Urias over to second more, that's fine. Colton Wong's been garbage defensively over there and his bat doesn't scream to get in the lineup either. You want to do that more often than you're doing it right now. No problem. Okay. Do that. But uh, it's Jace is it's a weird best war on your team it's not one that you want to have um that basically bill hall shouldn't lead your team in war that's what you got right now um and yeah it's uh he may have earned it he may you know it, it may be just to have jace peterson on the field more but he's really just a guy and he's really just a utility guy um it's a screaming call for help that they need better offensive players yeah i mean his value is the flexibility as yeah. paul said and if you look at it honestly right now plate appearance wise he is basically one of their top seven or eight guys in terms of plate appearances trying to see how many guys have more than his good point coming into today he had 223 plate appearances and i'm seeing one two three four five six guys on the team who have had more so he's getting quite a few plate appearances and I think that that's justified, especially based on you know what he's been doing defensively, that he should get in there. Offensively, it's been weird because he's been hitting for more power than you expect from Jace. <laughs> yes, Peterson. he has. And not getting he's not on base, Jace, this year. He's 246 average and a 315 on base. That's not the kind of split that you expect. It's fine, but it's not the kind of split you expect to see from him. But the 432 slugging is really something. And, you know, he is backing those seven home runs up with 12 doubles and, and two triples. So, uh, and he's also uh, stolen 10 bases as well, which is why I picked him up to, uh, I'm desperate <laughs> for some stolen bases in a, in a Roto league I'm in. So I picked him up to, to see if I could snake a few steals. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that he is getting an appropriate amount of playing time yep. for what he is. 
he is still on base chase against lefties, by the way. He is a 375 OBP. Just, you know, he's only faced 24 lefties, 20, or had 24 right. PAs. Right. So they just, as, as we've mentioned many times this year, the Brewers never face left-handed pitching, basically ever. So um, it's all righties, and righties against the Brewers just gives you the Brewer split. You have a crappy 300 on-base percentage and a something-like 400 slugging percentage and an OPS <laughs> at 720 garbage, and that's what the whole team is. <laughs> <laughs> but hey it's the average yeah. so there you go <laughs> all right uh next question comes from jay google asking at what point do the brewers address the pen and get another arm for the back end i guess speaking of <laughs> josh Hader's struggles ryan uh how long do you think before we see another reliever in town well let's see there are it, not counting today because by the time you're listening to this it's already tomorrow uh there are 21 days before the trade deadline so then 21 days <laughs> you will see uh, them add at least one more arm if not multiple arms and i would assume that they will primarily be pen arms yep. maybe you'll see somebody for the back end though i think that that urgency is dying off a bit given that as we've been talking about this when it looked like ashby might be out long term when it looked like we didn't know what the situation was with freddie uh, the back end of the rotation was a little more dire of a circumstance. Now it's kind of like, well, do they really need, by the time they get to around the trade deadline and you know, they, they would make a trade like that, if Freddie is imminent to return at that point, well, now you've got your, your five-man rotation pretty much that you wanted to, to go at that point, assuming somebody doesn't else get hurt. Knock on wood, but like... I just think that that takes a lot of the urgency out of that uh, timing wise. They just probably don't need to do that, but they're going to add. And I would assume when we say that, like, are they going to add, nobody thinks that they're going to add somebody who is going to knock Josh Hader or Devin Williams out of their current roles. Right. That's right. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a guy to be a bridge guy to get there. Maybe somebody that's better than Brad Boxberger. Yes. Because, (laughs) <laughs> that's that's he's been shaky like and yes, we, i think you and i james always kind of wait for the, the moment yeah. when it's not going to work anymore and then feel kind of bad like oh he's he just keeps doing it and then yeah we saw it all fall apart on was it saturday yeah i do feel like he is the most likely brewer pitcher to be victimized by poor defense in the pen it seems yeah. to it seems to get him like once every outing and then he gives gives his frowny face look and falls falls apart <laughs> after that Yeah, well, and he played a role in that bad defense yesterday because Christian Yelich had made a bad throw to him, but he (laughs) did not cover himself in glory. No, he didn't. He did not. It was bad throw, bad catch, bad all around. Yeah, and and it should be noted, didn't end up mattering because the Pirates hit the home run after that anyway. So whether that runner scored then or scored later. Who hit the home run? Oh, Ben Gamble. It was Ben Gamble. Ben Gamble. Yeah, of course. Because uh, that's just, you know, there to torture us. Yeah. All right. Uh, next trade question, because as you noted, Ryan, three weeks away from the trade deadline and a lot of questions about that. Bob Peterson asking here, who is the center fielder on no one's radar that Stearns is going to trade for? So <laughs> I feel like between like the last three or four podcasts, we've maybe mentioned every center fielder possible. I think but... we have. Like, It's not going to be Byron Buxton. I think that's the only one we had left. So, Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's probably a safe bet. Uh, Ryan, though, I, I guess you've mentioned sometimes some under-the-radar guys. So do you have anybody to maybe keep an eye out for? 
Yeah, I don't know. I'm sure we've mentioned him on here. At least I hope we have. But because I constantly get messages about him uh, extolling his virtues from Jay Google in my group chat, <laughs> uh, that uh, um, Michael A. Taylor is yeah. a guy who would be a very good defender, no questions about that, and has been performing offensively this year sort of better than you normally would expect from him. So I think he's kind of like a, if you can't get anybody else, there's always Michael A. Taylor. <laughs> um, I don't know if we've, we've also um, maybe name-check Andrew Benatendi early in the season, but yeah. there was an article this week in The Athletic uh, by both Will Salmon and whoever the beat guy is for the um, – for the Royals about how Ben Attendee could potentially be a fit for the Brewers. Yep. So we, we talked about him two weeks ago when we went down okay. that list that, uh, <laughs> that, that guy who writes for the athletic put out, I, I forget his name. Yeah. Oh, it was the Jim Bowden. The list. Jim Bowden yeah, column. Whatever. Yeah. He, 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 that was more than two weeks ago. That was, uh, yeah. oh, maybe it was time has no meaning. It was the last time I, I was on whenever that was. <laughs> when you don't, yeah. Time has no meaning, especially when it comes to Jim Bowden. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And when you're locked in a hotel room in Vegas. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, Ben Attendee, Michael A. Taylor, um, you know, there was a guy in Texas. I can't remember his name. That that you Adolis Garcia? Yes, Adolis Garcia. He would fit right I in mean, with the Brewers. He has the crappy Brewer mm-hmm. line to a T. 248, 288, 468, 756. That is, that is the most Brewer line that you can possibly have. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, here's another one, because I just watched him be a pain in my ass for the last two days um, when I was betting the Marlins and Mets. Um, Billy Hamilton has, oh God. Carved him, has carved himself out a career. As He's a still late, in the league? Yeah, as a late inning uh, pinch running replacement. And how this played out the last two days when the Mets and the Marlins went to extras, uh, the Marlins subbed him in for whoever the, the designated runner at second was. And oh, he that's created. Brilliant. He created a run both times by his speed, literally created the run both times. And the Mets screwed up both times uh, defensively. And he just straight up created the run for the Marlins. Um, so I feel like he'd be a he'd be a fun toy for Craig. They should actually do that. Yeah. And, and he's also a guy that if you want somebody to potentially fill that role and also to be a guy that if if you can't do anything else, and you get to the eighth inning, and you need a defensive replacement in center field, then he would be your guy because he's a really he's still very fast and can track baseballs down. Doesn't have an arm, but yep. you know that he, he is, never did. He has twenty four career home runs, and I I swear to God, like half of those are against the Brewers. Yeah. Oh Absolutely. yeah, at least at least like six of those went into the picnic area. Yep. Yep. Or like bounced off the rail at uh, Great American Ballpark and went. Oh out. God! Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. Uh, next trade question comes from Devin Bearwolf, uh, who says, "If I was David Stearns, I would be watching the trade market and selling high on pieces I don't see the Brewers in the Brewers' long-term plans." In parentheses, he has Josh Hader. Is it possible the Brewers do a mini <laughs> trade-off with the hopes that they can still make the playoffs due to an easy second-half schedule in an even easier division? with hopes of getting some more younger, cheaper, and controllable talent to help them in the future. So I guess, Paul, your thoughts on maybe like counter-building a little bit, as Ryan likes to call it. I... No, no, that's, that's Nick. That's, that's uh, Nick? Okay. Yeah, that's Nick uh, um, Zatel. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, 
So I, I'm always the person who predicts they're going to trade Josh Hader, but uh, they, they're just—they're not going to do it because this is how they win. They—they they get a small lead and they lean on um, their the back end of their bullpen to be perfect, and you can't do it. like nobody gets more out of Hader than this team does. They use him not optimally, but like they're built to win with an indescribably great closer and an indescribably great setup man. So it would have to be like just a knock your socks off uh fantastic get to give up hater i think and i don't i don't think that's coming so i i don't see it happening i just i i, I would be shocked if they did that at this point so this is an ootp trade this is a trade <laughs> yep. you make it out of the park baseball it is a, a trade that i literally made in out of the park baseball with the 2022 brewers a couple weeks ago I traded Josh Hader to reshape this roster and bring in some more offense. So this is part of the the, the shuffling that I did to do this. Yep. Once I, I bought the twenty or the OOTP twenty three, it is not a trade that would really happen, except in the weirdest of circumstances. And I think the main reason for that is that the message it would send to everybody, to to all the human beings who are uh, playing the games watching the games, coaching the games would be we're giving away our 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 relief face, the guy who shuts down games for us late. And that would have a extremely deflating, confusing, probably very infuriating response <laughs> from, you know, people. Right. So it, it's the kind of trade that in a video game you do it and it makes a lot of sense and you because you're not worried about the, the reality of the situation. But in in the real world, you just can't do this because yeah. it would it would cause a shitstorm. He's also right? he's like, Corbin Burns' dumb and unvaccinated friend, right? That's the other thing. <laughs> he's he's the Jake Kumaro to friends, Corbin yes. Burns' yeah. Aaron Rodgers. He's the Jake Kumaro. <laughs> We've entered the libelous portion of the, uh, <laughs> the podcast now. It's fine. Paul's recording this week. He can just edit that part out. <laughs> <laughs> By, by the way, quick stat check. Uh, Billy Hamilton, 24 career home runs. Uh, the second most he's hit against a team is the Cubs. He's hit three against them. The first is the Brewers, as expected. He hit seven home runs against the Brewers, oh more than double any other team. So, I swear half of those were in one season. Too. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Well, if not Josh Hader, how about this? Brian Polakowski has a question that I think I myself has pondered too, uh, given the current roster situation. Brian's asking, does Pedro Severino have any trade value to a non-contending club since he's ineligible for the postseason? So I kind of mused about this a little bit myself on Twitter, just seeing uh, Pedro struggle to play catcher effectively, like literally catch the baseball. He's dropped at least a couple in every game I've seen. So yes, that's anecdotal and small sample size, but I'm frustrated. So I'm just going to complain about it on a podcast um (laughs) but you know obviously the Brewers carrying three catchers right now as we mentioned when he came back uh obviously the other two Omar Narvaez and Vic Caratini as we mentioned have been excellent so kind of feels like they're shoehorning him in here maybe I don't know if it's like just fantasizing to say it's it's showcasing for a trade but Paul is that a move you would consider especially considering you can't have him on your postseason roster um I would certainly have him available in any deal that I would be making um, as as a potential part of it. Um, uh, first of all, 
it's it's a bad look to do that in the first place. Uh, he was clearly a big part of their plans. He cost them resources by ha- making them get Caratini by getting uh, by getting caught. Um, that's not good for a clubhouse chemistry. It's not good for um, just you impressing your employers. And um, while well, I know he's got you know some potential, it's not like he's a bad player with with no potential. Um, he's certainly not in, uh, in one of the uh, guys that you would just never trade. He's not he's not a can't touch him kind of guy at all. He's he's exactly the kind of guy that gets thrown into deals. <laughs> so yes, I would have him available. I don't think I'd be shopping him actively because shopping your steroid guy is a bad look too. It's not good con- it's not good negotiating tactics to put your damaged goods out there front and center. He's a guy you maybe sweeten a deal with on the back end, like hey, we still like this guy, but he you know he, maybe change the scenery is a good idea here uh you could probably here he's got all these good numbers do something with that and give us a few extra prospects as a result so that's how you handle him but uh yeah he put himself in a bad spot here by not being postseason eligible they they got to keep the other two they have to and um that makes it a little bit trickier and he is now an asset more than a future i think yeah brian do you like cash considerations (laughs) (laughs) that's basically it right because i mean like my other thought was when he came up, and if he's if he's struggling, if he he's not performing, he's an easy DFA too. They signed him to a one year, one point nine million dollar contract. Yep. Like you could easily just eat that and and cut your losses. So, yeah, cash considerations might be might be in his future as well. I don't know, but um, yeah, it, it's just kind of interesting to see them try to work him into the lineup a little bit. Obviously, he did have a. a good moment in, in his first game where he, he drove in a, a crucial run there but um, obviously an adventure and a work in progress behind the plate that yep. was always going to be the thing and he lost 80 games of catching work so mm-hmm. um, yeah it, and like you guys mentioned too Vic Caratini's actually been one of the better hitters and the Brewers kind of stumbled into something there too so it's just kind of hard to see a way forward for him and uh, it wouldn't surprise me if if he's not long for the club too especially once you know roster considerations have to be made and you can't carry three catchers anymore all right uh we also got some twitter questions to talk about this week a couple of good ones first one comes from jason bartholomew who asked a question paul already adds answered on twitter but we'll we'll do it here uh jason's question is do you think the brewers need to acquire one two or three hitters before the deadline in order to seriously compete in the postseason Paul, what was your answer for those of you who didn't didn't see on Twitter? My answer was seven. Um, <laughs> sort of, it, sort of in jest, <laughs> but, but but also oh, not have, really. They have like all these like average to above average hitters. Yeah, I just don't believe but... those numbers. I, I still think <laughs> they're. Liars use statistics, Ryan. They're fundamentally yeah. so OPS plus is fine, but they don't get on base enough. Um, they have a bunch of mediocre power hitters who don't get on base enough. They need more. They need actual on base chase, not fake on base chase who only gets on base thirty one percent of the time. Um, it's it's a stupid lineup. Like it is hit a home run or die all the time. And uh, it, it, they need they need they need offense. They need to fix a bunch of it. And um, seven's only you know kind of in jest because. While we've harped on center field, like that's the obvious, you know, been the obvious black hole. Still is the obvious black hole because that's not working right now either. Um, 
any position can be upgraded. Um, I, I like Urias. I think is fine, but also not really. He's seven twenty seven OPS. Anybody can be upgraded. Like literally all of these guys. There's better options out not out there, but there you could make an upgrade at any one of them. So uh, the world is their oyster because everybody kind of sucks. Well, I mean, the obvious position to upgrade, as we've been saying over and over and over, is center field because you don't have to do much to upgrade it. You can you can get just like kind of an averageish player, and if you get an average center field defender with averages averages offense, he is a massive upgrade for this team over what they they can run out there currently. So that is that would that would be fine. Um, I'm going to take his question literally and say how many. Uh, how many hitters do the Brewers need to acquire before the deadline to seriously compete in the postseason? And the answer is zero. They could seriously compete in the, the in the postseason with this lineup. Will they? Don't know. But does that give them their best chance to win? No. They need to make some upgrades, and I think everybody expects that they will, and they will, and that's fine. But if like, I see Jonathan Davis playing center field in the postseason, I'm just going to place a massive wager on the other team. <laughs> I mean, I don't think Jonathan Davis is going to be anything more than maybe a defensive replacement. But he's bad at defense. <laughs> oh, he's not though. He's he, he's a good defender. He made that uh, one big misplay. Like the inside the park home run was ugly. It he's was. Had, but it was he's also had like, a couple of misplays. He's had more than one misplay. Well, no, I mean that that's the one that stands out to me. I haven't watched every inning, but that one where I think that was his first time playing in uh, the center field at, uh, at American Family Field, right? Yeah. It was a weird so, angle. But, it was a weird right angle. There was, was nowhere to be found to back him yeah. up. So yeah, yeah, that was also very strange, like how that ball got all the way over, and he's the one that's running around to, to cover it. That was all kind of ridiculous and awful. But whatever. Point <laughs> is, is that, like – to give themselves their best possible shot here, yes, they they need to upgrade. But like, stupid things happen in the postseason all the time, and like this offense, I think already has the requisite buy-in to be like a a, a potentially dangerous postseason uh, postseason lineup. They they have power in kind of up and down the roster and or up and down the lineup, and that is something that comes in very handy in the postseason if it if it plays up that way and you end up having a a postseason where the balls are flying which isn't every postseason but it is weirdly some of them and you know like remember the 2011 postseason when nobody could pitch and everybody just kept hitting bombs all and that was literally every series up and down so you know strange things happen yeah i don't know i still want them to kind of go full braves like they did last off last trade deadline where they brought in like what seven different players on deadline day and four outfielders and just threw a bunch of stuff and saw what stuck. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens, but uh, I would like to see multiple hitters acquired just if not for, you know, just improving the lineup, but also to in, increase that depth too and, and give those additional options. All right. Let's end with a good old fashioned rant this week. Shall we? Because, uh, Danny Noonan, Paul's brother, who who is a Patreon, Patreon member. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, we need to mention that, otherwise Paul hears about it. Correct. Danny pays us money, but he sent this on Twitter. Um, <laughs> so he had an experience at the ballpark, and in 
I think it's one that a lot of people can relate to. Uh, basically paying, what, $16 for a third space beer yes. today. And, and just uh, in general, noting the, the ex- expensive uh, outing that is a game these days. So Danny here on Twitter saying, how much would you have to lower the price of beer or concessions to sell out a Friday, Saturday, Sunday? Would stadium profits be more or less at that price? So, of course, this happens after pretty much a perfect Sunday afternoon game, and the Brewers, uh, what, only sold 30,000 seats or something like that? There yeah. were plenty of empty ones. So, uh, Paul, go. So It's a bobblehead day, too, right? Um, yeah. It was a Freddie Peralta bobblehead. Freddie Peralta bobblehead day. Bobblehead days are traditionally easy sellouts. Um, they always sell out. Um, so a, a couple sources that went to games this weekend, um, they're charging too much for a lot of things and they're doing themselves a disservice. So, um, the, the first one I mentioned is preferred parkings up to 40 bucks on weekends. Um, are you kidding me? No. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, the one thing that you don't want to do is discourage people from getting in the door in the first place. Like if you're going to overcharge for beer, um, I, there's at least some logic to it. People pay stupid prices for alcohol once they've had a few in them, and they're, you know, it's the airport philosophy. Um, liquor at the airport costs an absurd amount of money, but it makes a lot of sense when you're trapped in an airport. Um, you can maybe do that in baseball, but you can't have people not being able to, like, drive up and park without paying another $40 on top of your tickets because you're in um, a lot of money at that point. But uh, I think that. Uh, inflation has, you know, been a big story. It's impacted a lot of things, um, but this is a little much, I think. So Danny pointed out the third space beer, sixteen bucks, and um, you know, fancy bars um, in this area of the country, even down in Chicago where I am, don't charge sixteen bucks for a beer. If you're, this is not San Francisco. This is not Manhattan. That's too much for a beer. But I think worse than that. Like if you're trying to get some extra money out of the craft beer nerds who are going there and are too embarrassed to be seen holding a cheap beer fine do that but (laughs) well if you're holding a cheap beer it's not cheap that's not where it ends a 16 ounce can of miller high life which you can buy at any liquor store for like a buck um (laughs) costs 12 dollars at miller Mm -hmm. park um that's too much money you can't do that <laughs> um now you're costing yourself money because now you you haven't it's like you can have first class and coach like it's fine to do that but you, you have no coach here everything's first class like you have not given any the cheap people anywhere to go uh, but the most egregious thing by far uh is water a, a bottle of water at the ballpark now costs eight dollars oh my god <laughs> that's first of all it's, it's stupid it's kind of unsafe uh if you if the roof is closed and it's 100 degrees you can have people dying left and right um it, it's uh it, like you you got to have water available for people for especially people that are i mean maybe maybe this is synergy uh, you don't need as much water if you're not drinking as much beer but uh <laughs> that is so th- these are high enough that you know now you're getting into the hundreds of dollars to take uh, well, you're, you're, yourself, you're getting into the hundred of dollars, and a family, you're getting into the many hundreds of dollars. And uh, you know, baseball is not exactly the most exciting game right now. This doesn't seem to be um, thought out well. And they only got thirty thousand for bobblehead night on a weekend on the most beautiful day of the year. Um, I suspect part of that is the general 
non-viewing pleasure that the Brewers offense provides, but that's a lot of money. And it's easy to add that up in your head. $40 is a big number. Uh, tickets are a big number. And then you, you do the beer math in your head. And you know if it's like eight bucks a pop, it's like, oh, that's not too bad. Four, 32 bucks, whatever. But 16, if you're doing that, or even the 12, like if, you, if there's two of you drinking, that's like $80 on beer. If it, That's a lot of, that's ridiculous. It They need to cut it a lot. In half <laughs> is what they need to do. So ticket prices have largely stayed stagnant. I can't give you an exact number on this, but in the in uh, Milwaukee, I have not had a ticket price increase in uh, four or five years at this point. Like we were still paying the same amount we have been for quite a while. Everything else has gone through the roof, and it's insane. Yeah. Uh, last summer, I was at a couple of different. I was in Philadelphia, and I was in Colorado, and uh, I noted how much more expensive it was to buy just a crappy can of domestic whatever uh, than it would be in Milwaukee. And that would not be true now. Now, maybe those places have also upped their prices. I haven't been to another stadium this year except in spring training. And I did note that there was some ridiculousness going on there too. But I, I don't think this is so much inflation as it is price gouging. And this is taking captive audiences and taking advantage of them the way that just the way that this stuff goes right now and this is happening up and down the economy in all kinds of different places and it's it's really nauseating and to see it blamed on inflation is kind of when you know that this is this this is not like some uh change that is being driven by need this is being driven by by greed and the the fact that they've upped the amount of uh for for parking which yeah it is absolutely ridiculous $40 for preferred parking on the weekends so I think it's useful for us to give kind of a rundown of ways to save money um first off take the shuttles yep shuttles are good take the shuttles because the shuttles not only can you get a beer or two at the bar and then get on the shuttle with your beer and drink it on the way to the park uh those beers are going to be much more reasonably priced than anything that you're going to get inside of the park Mm-hmm. Um, another one, obviously have your food and things before the game, before you go into the park outside and take advantage of that. So like, that's another like way to, to handle this. The, the other big one is my wife and she has done this for years now. This isn't just since the, the water bottles have exploded in price. She's been doing this forever. Take your own empty water bottle in and fill it at yep. one of the water fountains. Now, Granted, they don't have nearly enough of them around and they don't have bottle fillers, of course, though they <laughs> should, um, but they don't. And But make sure you're taking that stuff in with you and you can avoid paying a lot of these prices. Um, it also does help that they have a lot of season seat holder nights. And if you're a season seat holder, you get 25% off on all concessions. So that I, those nights I tend to get a, you know, much more readily getting that uh, second or even third beer at that point as opposed to normal days. But uh, yeah, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. And uh, it's just, it's price gouging at its worst and it's frustrating. I mean, it doesn't have to be this way. Like I went to a game in St. Louis this year and I'm pretty sure even for like their craft version, which is like goose Island, down there right it's, <laughs> okay whatever but it was like an eight dollar yeah. can for a tall boy like it okay that's expensive but not 
insane. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. it, it didn't seem absurd prices there. So to hear these prices coming out of Milwaukee is just insanity to me. So well, when they did the the Miller Lights for the first uh what was it, five innings or six innings of of the first Craig Council game after he had broken the the record and it was six dollars for a beer and it was like oh no this is what it should cost yeah. this is what it should makes cost sense. to get a yep. miller light of this size at, at a ballpark like this is still exorbitantly more than it cost them to to give me this beer like way way many multiples times more but it's at least not you know price gouging and uh slapping you in the face yeah and i would yeah. say that like People could make an argument that like this was being done as some sort of a like, let's not have so many drunk people at the games, people getting completely sloshed and whatever. And high, high beer prices can accomplish that. And I think there is actually some value in that from a spectator experience standpoint. But that kind of falls flat when you look at how much pricing on food has also gone up. Pricing on right. water has gone up it's everything is going up except seemingly the, the ticket prices because I think they value getting people in the door and then having the captive audience from that point. Yeah. I mean like food and non-alcoholic drink prices are an issue too. Like Paul, how much would it cost for you to take your kids to a game? You know, like well, an absurd insane. amount. All, the food's up as well. Ice cream's up as well. And, and like if water's eight, you can imagine where all the other things like water are too. So um, it's it's getting to be prohibitively expensive to go, and um, it, it's baseball's kind of always had multiple options for your experience level. Um, you know, you can pay a lot and sit close and have great seats, and they've had gourmet food options. Well, gourmet might be pushing it, but you know, you can get a hot dog or you can get something more special than that. And um, even the craft beer versus domestic dichotomy, okay, fine, but you can't have everything cost a ton. That just doesn't. It doesn't work. It it phases. It excludes a large percentage of the fan base, especially Milwaukee people are cheap, man. They're uh, they're they like a bargain. They as frugal, soon, Paul. Frugal. As as soon as word gets around that you're not that you are expensive and there's no way to get a bargain, you're gonna be kind of out of. You're gonna turn off a huge part of the fan base. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Baseball is already a game that has uh, issues with fan access and uh, reaching certain populations and de demographics of people. And when you make it so cost prohibitive, you're kind of just, again, reinforcing that it's the rich people's game, you know, like there's no going to a game and just enjoying it. you got to pay 200 bucks to go see it in person and you can't watch the damn team on cable anyway. So, you know, there's also <laughs> that. So things are just going great right now. Uh, but yeah. All right. Let's just leave it with uh, the last Twitter question or comment from Jay Google asking, why is Danny having to pay $16 for a third space beer when a six pack costs less than half of that? So again, <laughs> to Ryan's point, get that six pack, drink it in the parking lot yep. and then go in. Right. So there you go. I don't know. It, it's just a lot. And uh, we will welcome all of your, your comments uh, on this topic as well. Feel free to chime in on Twitter at MKE tailgate or uh, mention either Ryan R at RD top. Paul is at Badger Noonan. I'm at James L. I'm, I have a feeling we can rant about this all day. Yep. So <laughs> we'll leave the podcast portion here, but feel free to vent online. That's what Twitter's for. All right. Uh, reminder, before we wrap things up this week, we would appreciate it. Even if you uh, do not sign up to be 
become a patron at patreon.com slash mke tailgate you can support us another way you can leave a five-star review or rating for this podcast a reminder paul will read you you the uh five-star reviews here on the podcast whenever there is one um and uh if there's not we just kind of skip by and bob's at the top still You, you guys can knock off bob if you go and do it there you go. Uh, maybe uh, leave a five-star review complaining about how much you paid at your, your most recent Brewer game. We can <laughs> we can use that as a prompt. Yeah. Uh, there you go. Uh, but yeah, just leave that review there. It helps us kind of spread out to, to more baseball fans across the world. That kind of thing uh, really helps improve the content and the quality of this podcast as well. While you're there, please do hit your subscribe or follow button wherever you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, wherever that way you're sure you never miss an episode here and you get that push alert when Ryan posts the episode every week. So uh, that'll do it for this week. We ran a little bit long, but you know, we got fired up about the food rants and and that'll, (laughs) that'll do it. But uh, thanks for listening, everybody. We will be back here next weekend uh, to talk all-star break and in all first half fun, that kind of thing. So have a good week, everyone stay healthy and we will see you here on the walk.